right, so I want to I'm going to give my my Mother's Day a uh, little story out of the way first before I get into the word about the uh, couple that uh, were moving across country, and they had two cars, and they'd loaded all the cars up. They had a little boy that was about six years old, and, and he's, uh, he's very worried about this transition, you know. He says, you know, what if we get separated? What's going to happen if we get separated? And the dad's like, you know, uh, we won't get separated. We're going to drive real slow, and one's going to follow the other. And he says, yeah, but what if we do get separated? What happens if we really do get separated? And finally, he's just bugging the dad so much, the dad finally just said, well, I guess we'll never see each other again. And the little boy says, well, in that case, I'm riding with mom. <laughs> and that's why all those football players, all those baseball players, and all those basketball players are saying, hi, mom, at those games instead of hi, dad. All right, so um, we've been in the book of Luke uh, forever, it seems like, in a day, and we're still there, uh, chapter 8, and I want to use, uh, Benji, by the way, did a great, great job last week, awesome job, Benji, uh, wherever you are, I think they left, they probably went to the church down the street this morning because I'm preaching, but... <laughs> um, no, but I just want to just, on the heels of what he was talking about last week, I want to, we're uh, talking about the parable of the sower and, and light, and I want to just pick up and use that as kind of a springboard uh, for today. But just imagine this, you know, we're, we're, we've been talking about Jesus and his ministry, and, uh, you know, he has, his ministry, he was 33 years old when he was crucified. His ministry was only about three years, three and a half years, and uh, so just think about this. Just imagine you're in the ninth grade, maybe, you know, halfway through the ninth grade, and the teacher says to you, hey, guys, in three and a half years, I'm leaving, and you're taking over this class, and you're going to be teaching the class. I mean, can you imagine the weight of that? Can you imagine how that would feel? It's like, man, I don't feel like I'm equipped. I don't think I could do this. But that's exactly what the disciples were doing. He was training them and teaching them. He knew that in three and a half years that he'd be gone, and he's leaving everything. The church, what we see today is a result of these 12 men, uh, you know, taking the gospel message forward. And so... Um, you know, I, I want to, you know, I want to just give a, let me back up just a little bit into Luke chapter 1, because I want to give you just a little history of Luke and who he was. Um, he wrote the book of Luke, the only Gentile to write in the Bible, but he wrote the, uh, the book of Luke and the book of uh, Acts as well. And uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, talking about the disciples and those that were, had an eyewitness account of Jesus. Therefore, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that, I, that uh, you have been taught. So he, apparently Luke was hired by this guy, maybe a wealthy guy named Theophilus. He had, Theophilus was a believer, and uh, it was like, you know, he, he was just like, man, give me some history, give me some background. And so Luke endeavors, you know, he takes on under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to write these things down. And so with that in mind, I want to jump to uh, this parable of the sower. We know the parable of the sower. You guys know it. 
But the disciples didn't seem to quite understand it, and that's where I want to pick up. Because they're asking Jesus to explain this parable to them. It says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart. Least they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, when they hear what? When they hear the word of God, receive the word with joy. But these have no root, who believe for a while, and in the time of temptation they fall away. Now the ones, again, that's the seed, the word of God, that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And then in this, telling the same story in Mark chapter 4, Jesus just kind of adds this little detail. When the disciples ask him to explain the word or explain the parable, and in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, he said, don't you understand this parable? He said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? So, I mean, he's saying it's very significant. And then on the surface, when we think about it, you know, it's just like, you know, what, what is the parable? I mean, a parable is kind of like a riddle. And, you know, you're thinking about it, and, you know, you can't quite get it. And then, you know, you know it seems obvious on the surface but then, you know, when you get to the point of the explanation, it's that, like that aha moment. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, and so, you know, but when we think about this parable, I mean, it, it, it seems so obvious from beginning to end. A farmer goes out to uh, sow a field. And we can understand that. I mean, you know, living here in northern New Mexico, I mean, we've got property where we plant fields of wheat and alfalfa. Uh, you know, uh, several times, uh, you know, well, we plant our wheat every year. But I see the same thing happening. I mean, the guys get the wheat, and they're, they're going out before they even get to the field. Some of it's spilling on the road. Some of it's spilling on the side of the road. Some of it's, you know, uh, it, you know being put on the, the actual field. Some of it's on the sides of the field, up in the trees. It's with a spreader. And, uh, and, and so we can understand that. So it's just like, you know, I'm thinking about the point of, of, of the parable. And as Jesus explains it, you know, he says that the first two really are, the seeds are dead. They're either lost or dead. So, you know, you know as I think about that, you know, what can we do about that? What can you do about that? What can you do, do about seed that is dead? You know, seed that has sprung up and withered away, dried up. There's nothing that you can do about it. The Bible says that, you know, we don't save anybody. You, you can't save anybody. God does the saving. And then, you know, if we look at the rest of the parable, let's just look at the fourth uh, uh, seed uh, next. Um, and as I think about that, you know, it says that this seed fell upon good soil and it's bringing forth a harvest. Matthew says some 30, 60, uh, you know, 100 fold. So what's the point of that? I mean, there's nothing we can do about that either. I mean, this, you know, two of the seeds are dead and one of the seeds doing exactly what God wants it to do. So what's the point of the parable? Well, I think the point of the parable is the third seed or the third soil. And, uh, and he talks about it. It's alive. We look at it. Uh, let me just, uh, you know, give you that scripture reference about 
we don't do any of the saving that Jesus does or God the Father does. It says in John chapter 6 that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up in the last day. And then Luke chapter 8, just a, a little bit different translation. Listen to this. He says, the seed among the thorns represent those who listen and believe God's word, but whose faith afterwards is choked out by the worry and the riches and the responsibilities and the pleasures of life, and so they are never able to help anyone else to believe the good news. Those that are sown, you know, on the, in that third type of soil, where the thorns and the thistles begin to choke the life out of that seed. And I, I want to just tell you, I believe that there are many Christians today that fall into that category. And I believe that all of us from time to time can slip into that category. It's where, you know, uh, just the circumstances in life, the trials, the problems in life. Sometimes it's just like, you know, you, we put God, we don't mean to, but we put God on the back burner. It's like I've got a fire that I need to put out today, God, and I'm going to have to work real hard on this, and I'm really putting God on the back burner. And I understand that for, you know, a period of time, but it cannot be a, a, a habit in your life where God is always on the back burner. And um, listen to this. I, 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 when we're talking about this, this, the fruit being choked from this, this particular seed, this plant or a tree or whatever it is, it says, that it's, it's choked so much by the thorns and the thistles that it becomes unfruitful. And I, I, you, that you as a believer, you as a Christian, you've got to know that God wants you to be fruitful in your life. Let me give you a couple of examples from the Scripture. He says, Then he told a parable. A man had a fig tree, planted it in his vineyard, and he looked, went and looked for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming and looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use the soil? Sir, I believe this was his servant, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. You understand that? You understand? We see in this parable here that Jesus, the God the Father, is looking for fruit in our lives. Let me give you another example, Matthew 21. And Jesus said to them, he's speaking to the religious leaders, have you never read in the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, listen, a people who will produce fruit. And he, he says, and he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but he uh, on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priest, remember this, the whole thing in Luke, our whole study in Luke has been this, you know, this headbutting of Jesus and the religious leaders. And it says, when the chief, chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew that he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to, under, to arrest him. And so, um, and so we're, we're, we see from, from you know, the parable and the understanding of the parable that God wants us to bear fruit. But then Jesus kind of like, he goes into this next, um, this, this next statement, this next passage of Scripture about the light. And he says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a, a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand. 
that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be known uh, and come to the light. And so let me just stop there for a second. He, I mean, he just kind of like right on the heels of this uh, parable of the sower or the four soils, he starts talking about light. I mean, it's just like, why? I mean, why is that where it's at? I mean, it, just, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, the parable wasn't about light, and it wasn't about hiding light, and it wasn't about a lamp. So, I mean, why does that fit where it does? And I, I just have to believe that, you know, we understand the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. They pinned these things down. And I believe that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just said, you know, this is where this is going to go. And so, as we think about it, let me just add what Matthew says when he's talking about the same passage of Scripture. He sheds a little more light on the, a little play on words. Um, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a lamp or on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. Um, and it, is, it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, it, it's an interesting transition where Jesus goes from talking about seed and soil and being fruitful, and then he jumps into talking about light. Well, just first of all, you remember last week Benji had that little picture of a first century uh, lamp. And as we think about it, you know, many of you probably, it's so easy today. I mean, it's so easy for us to create light. You just go over and flip on a switch. That's the way it is in your house. In fact, it's so easy that many of you probably left lights on when you left home this morning. I mean, invariably, I can walk through my house and I can see lights on in empty rooms. You know why? Because electricity is so cheap. I mean, but, you know, back in, the, in this day, in this time, you know, it was really, I mean, think about it. You know, first of all, if you want to light a lamp, how do you do that? I mean, you don't just go get a match. I mean, you know, I mean, that, that didn't happen until years later. So you're out there with a piece of flint. How many of you have ever tried to light a fire? I mean, make a fire with flint. Anybody in here ever try to do that? How many? Hold your hands up. I want to just see. All right, wait a second. Keep those hands up. Now, how many of you were successful in trying to? All right, see, we got two people out of about the 12 that I've tried it too. It's just like, man, forget it, you know. Or, you know, have you ever been in that situation where, you know, you, you're trying to get a little bit of flame from, you know, from this fire over to this fire, and you're, you know, carefully taking it over, and, you know, you got your hand around it, and before you get there, the wind blows it out. I mean, it's a pain. It, I mean, it's just like, it's hard. It was hard. It was hard in those days. And so you can imagine that, you know, Jesus is telling the story, and, and those that were sitting around, you know, he's talking about no one that lights a lamp puts it under a bed or hides it under a bushel basket. I'm sure that there were guys that were thinking, man, this is serious. It's hard to light a lamp. Why would you want to put it under a bed? It, it was like, you know, Comedy Central. You know, it was a ha-ha moment for them. It's like, yeah, Jesus, that's a good story. That's a good joke. You know, who would ever who would even think about doing stuff like that? Nobody would do that. But so it seems like Jesus was saying in the light, in the lamp parable, that there may be Christians that are trying to hide their lamp or trying to hide their light and are not fruitful. They don't really want to be a city on a hill, that maybe they're in, ashamed or embarrassed or they just you know, don't want to bother. 
And so all three or four of these parables that we're going to talk about this morning are talking about the same thing. And he's talking about the fourth soil are those that heard the seed that was sown. They heard the word and the word brought forth fruit and that fruit. And I'm not talking about the fruit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 of the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace, and gentleness, and goodness, and meekness, and temperance, and faithfulness. I'm not talking about that fruit. I'm talking about the kind of fruit that is produced by, by teaching, and preaching, and sharing, and inviting your neighbors over, or your co-workers over for dinner, and just telling them your story about what Jesus has done in your life. That, I'm talking about being fruitful in that type. Remember in Corinthians it says that, that each seed reproduces its own kind. And I believe that that's what Jesus is saying. That now that you've been born again, you know, you need to reproduce. You know, there need to be other believers as a result of you in the ministry that you have. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, Paul says, I, I, you know, and, and he talks about this. He, he talks about, um, you know, just... And let me just back up before I go to that scripture. I just want to talk about that third soil, um, you know, the third soil or that uh, seed that fell in the third soil. That, that when, when you were choked, when you were so concerned, when you're so worried about this life, uh, what he's saying is it chokes the life out of that seed. And, and you're not fruitful and you're not, you're not productive. And... Um, you know, it's all, you're, all you can do is just maintain yourself. It's just like you're saved and that's all you can do. It's like you're not, you're not being beneficial for the kingdom of God. Uh, you're not helpful. It's not, it's not what Christ wants you to do. I mean, I hear people say all the time, God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, I'm telling you what God wants you to do today. God wants you to be fruitful. All right. So Paul had to deal with this as well in his ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, and I, brethren, couldn't uh, speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal. That means just uh, people that, whose minds and hearts are set on the world. It's, uh, they're carnal Christians. It's, uh, he says, uh, as to babes in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able to, for you are carnal. And we have much to say about this. He goes to, I'm jumped into Hebrews now, chapter 5, about the same thing. We have much to say about this. Say about what? About Christians that kind of just stay in the same place that never grow and never produce fruit. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk not solid food. Anyone that lives on milk uh, being still an infant. And so, you know, there's a little admonition there that he's saying, you know, guys, it's time to grow up. It's, you know, it's like, you know, we you see people that are Christians that Benji talked about last week about people that said that they had tried Christianity. And, uh, you know, this is not something that we try. You know, I mean, Paul says in, in also in 1 Corinthians, you know, was talking about, uh, he says that, you know, one man plants and one man uh, waters. He says, I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered. He says, but it was God that gave the increase. And so after you're saved, uh, there's more to being a Christian than just being saved. That God, in, in, uh, in Psalm, I believe it's 137, the scripture says, he says that before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. And he says, all the days of your life 
were recorded in his book before one of them ever come to pass. Now think about that. Before you were even born, God had a book about his plan for your life and how he wanted you to live and fulfill your plan, his plan or for you to fulfill his plan uh, in your life. Now remember what Jesus said that, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just like he says, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. And, but anyone that wants to lose his life, pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, there's some kind of sacrifice that's involved here. And so um, he wants us to move beyond being, you know, just carnal Christians. So he talks about, we talked about a seed and a sower and how God wants us to be productive. And, and then how that, you know, anyone that would hide their lamp or their light, uh, Jesus is saying, you know what? I made you. I made you a city on a hill. I made you a lamp. You didn't climb the hill. You didn't climb the hill to make yourself the city on the hill. You didn't climb to the top of the lampstand. God said, I placed you there. I made you a city on a hill. I made you a lamp on a lampstand. And, and Jesus is saying, I fear that there are some that are trying to hide their light. And then he moves into this next passage of Scripture, just, just boom, you know, seeds, light, and then here comes his family. It's just like when we think about it, it everything just seems so out of order until we think deeply about it. It says, then his, mother's and, his mother and his brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. Remember we talked about, you know, typically in the movies that we see, there's so, you know, it shows 10 or 12 people, the 12 disciples and a couple of women around Jesus. No, I mean, once Jesus' ministry started, it flourished. And there was hundreds and maybe even thousands of people that were around Jesus to the point that when his mother and his brothers came to see him, they couldn't even get in. And um, it says they couldn't approach him because of the crowd. And it was told to him by some who say, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to, see to, desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. Notice he didn't stop there. Not just hear the word of God, but my mother and my brothers are those that hear the word of God and do it. And do it. Okay? Now think about this. I mean, what were they doing there? Why did they show up? I mean, why did his mother and his brothers show up? And we already know from Luke's gospel that, you know, that Jesus was, we know that Jesus was born and, and well, he was uh, raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, of course, but he was raised in Nazareth and that's where his family lived. But we know from uh, the teaching in Luke chapter 4 that he had already been to Nazareth and they rejected him. And so why is Mary and the brothers, why, why is his mother and brother coming down? I mean, do they want to be his disciples too? Or are they, you know, I mean, are they just trying to find out what's going on? Are they curious? Why? I mean, why are they there? Why, why did they come down? I mean, have they heard about, you know, this fame of Jesus? Are they wondering? You know, let me give you another scripture because this kind of helps, helps me understand. It says, this is another totally different story from Mark chapter 3. It says, And Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, talking about his mother and his brothers, uh, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. So why did they show up? And what is it that Jesus is saying? You know, I mean, was he sliding them? Was he sliding his mom? I don't think so. I don't think he was doing that at all. 
I mean, we know from uh, John's gospel, when, when Jesus is hanging there on the cross, I mean, he looks down at his mother, and he looks at John, and he says, you know, son, this is your, John, this is your mother, and woman, this is your son. And it said, the scripture says that John took her from that day and took care of her. So, so what's going on? I mean, I think, you know, just think about it. His mother and his brothers, you know, uh, this, this blood relationship, I think that this is what, you know, the, that the crowd was thinking, and maybe even Mary and the brothers were thinking. But this blood relationship only lasts as long as the blood lasts. And when the blood is gone, the relationship, in a sense, is gone. And I believe that Jesus was thinking, he was looking through an eternal eye, through the eternal mind. Just think about it. I mean, he was before Mary. He was before Adam. He is the creator of all the heavens and the earth and the universe. Here is God in the flesh standing here in this crowd and someone saying, here's your mother and brothers. And he's looking, he's thinking, you know, I've got an eternal family. My family is eternal. They're going to be with me forever. But they're going to be those that hear the word of God and do it. Those that hear the word of God and do it. James says, don't merely just listen to the word of God and be deceived. Do what it says. And then we see, we come to this, uh, this parable of the storm or the story of the storm. It's not a parable. Just falling right on the heels, just boom, boom, boom. Got the parable of the seed, the sower, the light, the mother and the brothers, the family, and then here comes the storm. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out, and they sailed and they fell asleep. And a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and there was, there was a, they were in great danger. And the disciples, when they went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and there was a calm. Where's your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. Interesting question here. Where is your faith? And I would ask you, faith in what? Where's your faith? He says, where's your faith? And faith in what? Faith that if they woke him up that he could calm the storm? No. Because it says that they were just blown away. It says that, you know, they were, who is this? They didn't wake him up because they thought he could calm the storm. Because when he did calm the storm, you know, he said, they said among themselves, who is this? I mean, who is this that's calming? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, you know, we see that, you know, from uh, previous uh, uh, chapters in Luke, that he has authority over the demonic, over the spiritual world, and we see that he has uh, all authority and all power over nature itself. Where did that storm come from? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Well... I have a, I need a Bible. You guys got your Bible with you? Hey, just out of curiosity, how many of you bring just a really hard Bible, just, you know, like a book? Would you raise those up? Okay, how many of you just use that electronic Bible? Would you raise those up? 
Okay. <laughs> I'm, I, regardless of how you got it, I'm, I'm glad you've got it. Um, so I'm going to turn to Psalm chapter um, 107. And in Psalm 107, this is good right here. So I asked the question, where'd the storm come from? And, you know, we might think right away, well, this is the devil sent this storm. This is, this is the evil one. But listen to what Psalm 107 says. It says that, um, some, verse 23, some went out on the sea in ships, and they were merchants on the mighty waters, and they saw the works of God, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up the tempest and lifted high the waves, and they mounted the waves, mounted up to heaven, and went down to the depths, and they reeled, talking about those that are in the boat, and they staggered like drunkards, and they were at wit's ends, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them from their distresses, and he stilled the storm to a whisper. Uh, the waves of the sea were hushed, and they were glad and grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to mankind. So, we got, you know, the, the question is that he asked them, where is your faith? And we've already said that it wasn't. It wasn't because they were supposed to have faith or because they thought that he could calm the sea. They were amazed when he, when he actually did it. So what's he talking about? He's, what he's talking about is the statement that he made to them prior to getting in the boat. He says, let's go over to the other side of the lake. That is the word of God. That is Jesus' word. That's just as much his word to them that day as his word is to us today. It was the spoken word. We've got the written word of God. But he says, let's go over to the other side. They weren't going out for a cruise. They weren't just kind of cruising the Sea of Galilee. You know, I mean, by the way, just some uh, statistics for you. It's about um, eight miles across the Sea of Galilee, about 13 miles long. Uh, the word Galilee, I believe, uh, translates as a circle, and although it's not really a circle, if you're looking at it from outer space or, you know, from, from higher up, uh, it, it appears to be kind of a, a circular kind of a, a shape. And uh, it's about um, 153 feet deep in the middle. Now, and, and I read the story, and I know you guys have a hundred times, but, you know, I'm thinking about it, you know, I mean, and I'm, I'm just trying to imagine... You know, we're thinking about Peter and James and John. They were fishermen. Uh, we know, you know, we know about their boats. We know what kind of boats that fishermen were in. But I'm thinking, you know, where is Jesus? I mean, this—it's not like we're thinking. I don't. I, in my mind, I don't think. I don't think they're just like in a little dinky little fishing boat. Otherwise, you know, I mean, have you ever been asleep and uh, had somebody just like one drop of water or somebody sprinkle water on you? Or somebody maybe pour water in your face while you're asleep. You can ask my grandson about that. He knows well, you know, what that's like to be sleeping and uh, somebody pour water in his face in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's just like you can't, I mean, Jesus can't be sleeping and water be just splashing all over the boat. So he's got to have some kind of protection or covering or, you know, something over the bow or the stern of the boat where that's something that he could get under and have the cushions. And, but apparently, you know, he's sleeping through the storm. I don't know how, 
But, uh, you know, the little boat is being tossed uh, to and fro. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it's just like, you know, Peter goes in. And, and wait, I'm, I'm guessing it's Peter because he's always, you know, kind of that bold one. Lord, and then notice this. I like the, uh, uh, the, the translation, one of the other translations. Um, it says, um, listen to this. This is from Mark. It says, the fur- furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I mean, these guys are busy. I mean, they are bailing. They're taking the sail down. I mean, it's just like, I mean, they are, they are at wit's ends. They're just like, you know, just like, you know, um, I mean, just in disarray. Uh, they're, they're not thinking clearly. They're not thinking straight. Um, and it says that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? I want to just tell you guys that when you and I go through the storms of life, it's like we forget all about God. You forget about His Word. You forget about all the promises of God's Word. You're just so focused on the problem and the storm that you're in. It's just like, man, you know, it's just like, I got to fix this. I got I, I to save it. I got to jump in. I got I to do something. And it's just like we totally forget about God. And then, you know, then we, we ask that question that the disciples ask. You know, Lord, don't you care? And, and then we, we have a tendency to, say, to think the same thing in our lives when, when our, you know, just like all hell breaks loose in your life. It's just like, God, where are you? Don't you, you know, can't you see what I'm going through? Don't you care? Don't you care what I'm going through? And, you know, this is just kind of like the enemy just kind of like revving you up a little bit because deep down in your heart, you know that God cares. He cares about everything Jesus even said, hey, there's not even a sparrow that falls to the ground without God knowing about it and caring. He cares. He says that he cares for the little sparrows, the birds of the air, that he cares for you as well. And it so reminds me of another story um, from Luke chapter 10. Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her house to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Listen to this. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to, what are they listening to? Who is Jesus? John, John chapter 1, who is Jesus in the beginning was the, was the word, okay. In the and so there, she's listening to Jesus and Jesus is speaking the word. And so it says that, Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he said, but Martha, now check this out. Doesn't this sound just like the third soil? Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care? Here it is again. Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? Look at me. God, look at all, look at all the things that I'm going through. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now notice what Jesus says, Martha, I mean, I just see the tenderness in this, Martha. He said, you're worried and you're upset about many things. And that's exactly what the third soil was like, that it couldn't be fruitful because it was worried and concerned about, you know, the fears of this life or the riches or the wealth or the business of this life. It became unfruitful. But Jesus, what he's saying here is that she, she's not only just concerned about, you know, getting dinner ready and making sure the house is prepped. I think he's digging a little bit deeper. He says, you're worried and upset about many things. But listen to this. 
one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. So, let me back up. Let me get back to the storm for just a second. Where's your faith? Where's your faith, he said. Faith in what? Faith in the statement that he had already told them, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. So, had they taken Jesus at his word, and the storm came, what would it have been? It would have been an inconvenience. It would have been a delay. It would have, you know, stopped our normal routine, the things that we are doing in life. But they had the Word of God that, you know, yeah, I don't know why this is going on. I don't know what's going on right now. I'm not sure why I'm in the middle of this storm. But God said that we're going to the other side. And because he said that, I'm taking him at his word. That we're not going to die here in the sea. We're not going to perish. But the boat's not going to sink. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe his word. And we're going to go to the other side. Amen? You may be in a storm today. You may be in a difficult place today. Maybe, you know, the cares and the worries and the concerns of this world are choking you so that you've become unfruitful. You know, Paul says, and he's writing to the, uh, uh, the church at... Uh, Corinth once again, and uh, he says to them, I want you to examine yourself and make sure that you're still in the faith. And, and so, you know, that's not in a condemning way that, you know, that he's saying that. It's just like every once in a while, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we hit things in life with our business, with our finances, in relationships, and with our children. It's just kind of like we hit the wall, and there's a storm there, Uh, You know, we don't turn our back on God and run. You know, we do exactly what the disciples did. I don't even think they knew what they were doing. It's just like, we don't know what to do, but we're going to go to Jesus. We just wake up Jesus and, you know, uh, see if he can help us here. Well, I want to tell you that the Bible says that he that watches over Israel, and that would include you, that he that watches over Israel neither slumbers or sleeps. So he's not sleeping through your storm or through your mess. But all he's saying is go to the word, cling to the word, cling to the word. And that's why Jesus said when he was in the wilderness that every every temptation was answered by the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All right, I'm going to end... In one minute, I'll give that and make that two. You know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. That's right. So, I don't even have one. Uh, so, I'm even better. All right, two minutes. I, I'm just going to, there are eight eternal values that, that you can receive from the Word of God. Number one, uh, God awakens and sustains faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And where does faith come from? Faith comes, the Bible says, from hearing and hearing the Word of God. Number two, the Word of God, or through the Word of God, we receive the Holy Spirit. We see this in Galatians chapter 3. Does God give you the Spirit by the works um, and miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? What did they hear? They heard the Word of God. Number three, the Word of God creates and sustains life. Jesus says, these things are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is this Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you would have life in his name. The word of God gives hope for everything that was written, what was written, the scriptures, the word of God in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. The word of God leads us to freedom. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Number six, the word of God gives us victory over the devil. John writes, he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong, and listen, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. That's how you overcome the devil. That's what we were talking about, Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. He overcame him by the word of God. Number seven, the word of God brings joy. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Um, John, uh, number eight, the word of God produces fruit. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. God, folks, I want to tell you, please hear this. I, I want you to walk away from here today uh, listening to this deep down in your heart. God wants you to bear fruit. So I would ask you, let me just ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I want us to, um, I just want us to consider these statements. Just, only you can answer these questions. Are you living by the word of God today? Or have the worries and the cares about this world choked the fruit and the life out of you? Have you hidden the word of God or your light under a bushel basket? Has your light be, been dimmed? Are you hearing the word of God and doing it? Like the disciples in the boat, do you have faith? Is your faith, where's your faith level today? On a scale of one to ten, where's your faith level today? Are you caught up in the storms of, of life and, and has life and all of its problems and all of its circumstances quenched your faith? and your fire, and your fruit. 